Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie. If you're new around here, this is a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? COVID is still here. It's the end of the world, but the podcast is still happening. I'm your host, Millie Brooks coming at you from the Bay Area. Today is a very special episode. We are going to unpack another side of the child-free community with Don Sheree Bird. Don Sheree is embracing a life without children and finding joy in other areas, including being a family of two. Welcome, Don Sheree. Thank you so much for having me, Millie. I am so glad you're here. Let's start with a small glimpse of who you are, what you do, where you're from, and a little bit um, about your family. Yeah, okay. So, obviously, my name is Dawn Sheree. Um, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I call myself a content creator. I'm working on what I want to do in my life, <laughs> if I can be quite honest. Um, but basically, I just refer to myself as a content creator at this point in my life. Um, I am married to the love of my life. I've been married for 12 years. Um, my husband and I, we don't have any children, obviously, but we have two adorable pups, Baxter and Coco, who I am totally obsessed with. So, yeah. tell. I mean, like, what kind of dogs are they? Oh, my gosh. I will gush about them all day. So <laughs> Baxter is an eight-year-old toy poodle. He's so cute. He's like the tiniest dog you will ever see. And Coco is two years old and she's a shipu, but she looks more like a shih tzu, um, but she's a poodle and shih tzu mix. A shipu. Mm-hmm. She's adorable. And they're in the room with me. I'm hoping Baxter doesn't bark, but he he might. Oh, this is a dog-friendly podcast. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> so, like, my dog, Cleo, regularly makes an appearance. So, Perfect. all dogs are welcome. Yay. Um, well, when did you and your husband start trying for a child? Give us a snapshot into your infertility journey. Okay, yeah. So... My husband and I, we have a unique situation where we actually went into our relationship expecting to have children. I was actually pregnant when we got married. So we kind of already knew that we were going to be a family. That was the expectation. Um, and we ended up getting pregnant about two times um, before I actually started to experience infertility. But obviously we did not, you know, keep the children that sounds like we, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that we didn't keep the children, but we lost, we, we lost them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Got um, it. I don't know how deep in depth you want me to go. I talk a lot so I could go into as much detail as you want me to, but. Please, please. Okay. Well, um, so we met at church. We were in love. We got pregnant. We got married, and then I discovered that I have an incompetent cervix. Um, one day, and is that the term that they used back then? Yes, I don't know what they're calling it now, I don't look it up, but it was explained to me that I have an incompetent cervix where my cervix dilates prematurely. It's not something that you're aware of until it happens, so unfortunately, there's nothing that they can do, um, is what it was explained to me. 
So essentially one day I was about five months along in my pregnancy and I was using the bathroom and I noticed that I started to feel something coming out of me and I'm like, that is not normal. Um, And so I just remember talking to my husband and like crying and saying something's wrong, get me to the hospital. And so we did that. And that's when they told me, you know, you have an incompetent cervix, your cervix is dilating. And unfortunately you are going to have to deliver the baby and there's nothing we can do to help the baby live outside of the womb. So that is what happened. I had to go through labor and delivery. It was the, one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. I've had three. Uh, and so, yes. Three miscarriages. Three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was traumatizing. And then the second time we got pregnant um, almost immediately, I'd never had any trouble getting pregnant the first, like the first two times. Um, but then the second thing happened again, or the same thing happened again, where, um, we lost the baby and I had to deliver the baby, but it was due to my doctor's, um, lack of listening to me and taking me seriously when I told them that I wanted to be stitched because that's an option. You can be stitched ahead of time, um, to help your cervix hold. He told me that he wanted to wait. I wanted to do it at 12 weeks. He said, no, we usually do it around, you know, 16 weeks, 15 weeks. My patients are fine. Um, but of course that wasn't the case for me and I needed to be stitched early. And so because of that, I lost my baby. Don Sheree, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he told me in the hospital, he said, I should have listened to you. I'm so sorry. I should have stitched no. you. Mm-hmm. He said that to me. Yep. And I'm like, oh, thanks. What can we do now? Yeah. Oh, I'm flipping all the tables in my <laughs> mind right now. Like I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what a tremendous malpractice. Like exactly. Okay. So did you, I mean, did you find a different doctor at all? Um, At that point, I was just done with doctors in general. I was just like, you know, no, they're not taking me seriously. No one is listening to me. Um, And I had convinced myself that I was done because I was so young. I was like 19 at the time. And I just was like, I'm done. Obviously, I'd never want to experience this again. Pregnancy is scary. I'd never want to lose another child. I can't do this. And so I just kind of was like, I'm done. Um, I didn't find another doctor at that point. Um, And then, you know, I started to experience depression and everything that comes along with losing a child. And then I started to experience experience the longing for what I had lost. And then that's when I started wanting to try again. Um, I think it was like a, maybe like a year later. Um, And so I just remember becoming obsessed with getting pregnant and buying pregnancy tests and, um, you know, trying to have sex as frequently as we possibly could and tracking my ovulation and all those things. And all of a sudden it's like, I could not get pregnant. It wasn't happening. And I'm like, this is new. What is this? Um, And so we experienced infertility for about uh, four years. So we got pregnant in two, in 2015 with our third baby. And that time it was only because I was experiencing heavy periods and I went to my doctor and I'm like, I cannot stop bleeding. And so he said, well, let me put you on birth control pills. I want you to take four birth control pills a day to regulate your period. I had never heard of that, but I'm like, okay. Oh, by the way, I did find another doctor, but I just went to some rando that I had researched online. (laughs) And he was really nice though. And he was like, here, this is what we're going to do. 
You know, he's like for a day, like for a day, for a day. So you had like four packets. I had so many. He had prescribed me so many and he told me to take four pills a day. Skip the whole, you know, placebo ones and just, yeah, it was insane. So that's what I did. Uh, Did not stop bleeding. So I was like, this doesn't work. I'm done with this. (laughs) So I stopped taking them and then I got pregnant. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, my my prayers are answered. This is it. Because I had been praying and like begging God at that point. Like, God, please, just please let this happen for me. And so it finally did. I don't know what made me take a pregnancy test that day, but I just, I don't know. You kind of know your body and you just feel weird. And I was just like, and also I was obsessed with taking pregnancy tests at that point. Like I would do it all the time just to be let down. But that time I wasn't. And so I just remember like, thanking God for allowing this to happen. And I knew immediately that I wanted to work with a high risk doctor. So I did some research and I went to one of the best hospitals that we have here in Nebraska. And I worked with a high risk doctor who was wonderful. Um, He decided to go ahead and do the cerclage at 12 weeks. He listened to me Mm. um, and he took me seriously. So I was so grateful for that. So that's what we did. And I just knew this was my time to be a mom. Like this is what's going to happen for my family. I was, I was so overjoyed. And then I, there was all kind of like just scary things that happened, but the biggest thing that uh, contributed to our loss was that I got an infection from the cerclage. Um, and so my body started to get an infection and I started to dilate and it was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in because the cerclage is holding your cervix together. Yeah, and you're stitched up like, and your body was resisting that. Exactly. But my body was also trying to rip itself apart. And they, they initially said like, we have to cut we have to cut the stitches right now because if we don't, your cervix is going to literally rip apart. Um, Yeah, I have never been in that much pain. The contractions were insane. It was just literally that was the worst time of my life. But anyway, so they cut the stitches and um, I had to go into delivery almost immediately. And my baby, he survived outside of the womb for, I want to say maybe 30 minutes. We got to hold him and I got to talk to him, but he was so little and he just could not survive outside of the womb. And so he eventually ended up dying from heart failure. So. And where, where were you in your pregnancy at that point? I was almost, (laughs) it's so crazy because I remember my fluid had got so low because of the the infection. So the, the fluid in the sack had got so low that they said, you know, if you can just make it to, I think they said 26 weeks, then your baby can survive outside of the womb. I think I made it to 25. <gasps> oh, Don Trey. Yeah. Oh and my so, gosh. And my body was just like, no. And I remember my water broke, like the last bit of fluid I had had came out and It was just, yeah. And so I didn't make it to right when I needed to. And yeah. So. Wow. Mm -hmm. Was it always around 20, like 25 weeks? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because that's when the baby is starting to grow and get a little, a little bit of weight to it. And my cervix is just like, no, mm -mm, we can't. Um, And 
So that was in 2015. I was 25 at the time. Oh, I'm aging myself. Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm terrible at math, so I still don't know how old you but are. But the listeners are going to know my age. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, I was 25 at the time, and that was the last time I got pregnant. So, Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. That is, that is a tremendous amount of loss. Yes. Um. So in terms of titles, you know, childless, not by choice, childless after infertility, and child-free after infertility, what do they mean for you? And which one do you identify with most? Yeah. So when I think about childless, not by choice, I feel like that means that you don't have children, not for a lack of trying, but that the choice was taken from you like regardless of the circumstance everyone is is different maybe you know you are infertile or maybe you never found a partner there's just so many different things that can contribute to your inability to have a child so for me it just means that you tried and or you wanted children rather and the choice was not it wasn't up to you you there was nothing you could do um Childless after infertility for me means that either you or your partner um, were infertile, you maybe went through fertility treatment, and you just, again, did whatever you could. Um, And at the end of that journey, you decided that, you know, that was going to be the end of the road for you, and you did not end up with a child. Um, So kind of, I feel like those kind of are the same but childless not by choice can encompass so many more things because maybe you're not infertile. I don't know. It's it's different for me. I don't know. But um, and I'm not the one who created these titles, so please don't come for me. Uh, <laughs> do <laughs> not slide in her DMs. Guys. Do not because I didn't even know about. I didn't even know there were labels for this for these kind of things until I found people. Um, who I could relate to on the internet. So don't come for me. I am not the spokesperson for the childless community. Okay. Um, (laughs) And um, not the official one. Let me say that. (laughs) And then child free. Yeah. Not the official one. Cause I, I kind of am a little spokesperson, but not the official. Okay. Um, So, and then child free for me, I feel like, that's like, again, either you or your partner were infertile. You, you know, you, you tried with fertility treatment maybe, and then you didn't end your journey with a baby. But now instead of feeling like you're less or you're like, your, your life is missing anything, you're almost embracing your life without children. And you are not viewing it as a loss, but you're finding ways to embrace your life and, be happy without children, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a real, like all of your explanations for all of them have been, make perfect sense, honestly. Um, I hope so. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it totally does. And I and I can see why the childless not by choice is the the frame that you most identify with. You know, absolutely. What has been the hardest part about stepping off of this journey, um, you know, and living a life without children? 
Yeah. Um, so really quickly, I hope it's okay. I kind of want to go back to uh, the child is not by choice because that Absolutely. is the one that I identify the most with, but I realized I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but I do identify the most with that one just because of my situation. I wasn't always in a position where I was infertile and I have lost children and it was at some point easy for me to conceive and then it wasn't. Um, so that's why I kind of identify with that with that phrasing more because I feel like it just kind of encompasses everything that I've experienced a lot more than just being child-free after infertility. Okay. So, um, I, uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I totally agree. I totally, I mean, like I totally see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. So then the hardest part about stepping off of the fertility treadmill, honestly, was just, there's a couple of things. So the first thing was, just acknowledging the fact that no matter how badly I wanted to be a mom, it was something that wasn't going to happen for me. And also, you know, giving up that, that dream and the hope and having to unlearn all the behaviors that I had been used to for literally years, like buying all those pregnancy tests, buying the basal thermometer and tracking my, for you know, my ovulation and talking to my husband about our future kids and all of these things. It was just really hard to just kind of decide, like, I've had all that I can take. This is enough for me. And unlearning just the obsessive behavior that I had around, you know, like getting to the point where after sex, I'm not doing all these weird gymnastic moves to try to help, you know, <laughs> to try to help the little yes. guys get to where they need to be, you know, just being trying to get back to a sense of normalcy. That was the hardest thing for me because that's not what I was used to. I was used to being obsessed and, and having my identity be around becoming a parent. So that was just the hardest thing was just putting it down and walking away and saying, it's going to be okay. Mm. Wow. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. Do you remember the moment that that sort of sunk in? Yeah, I feel like it wasn't up until it was like last year. I was in therapy. I was just having a midlife crisis. Um, I used to call it an early life crisis when I was in my 20s. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having an early life crisis. I like that better than the quarter life crisis. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I was having an early life crisis. We'll still call it that because I'm pretty still, I'm, I think I'm still in my early early years, but, um, I was in therapy and I finally opened up about my journey for the first time because Millie, I had never talked to anyone. And I mean, anyone, not even my husband, as crazy as that sounds about what I was dealing with as it relates to infertility, my losses, being childless. I'd never opened up about it to anyone. Um, my therapist was the first person I talked to. And I remember she just told me, you know, there is a, there is a possibility that you won't have children. And no one had ever told me that. Everybody was always like, you know, keep praying, keep the faith, it can happen. Even though in my heart, I knew that it probably wasn't going to. And I didn't even know if it was something I wanted to happen anymore, but no one would let me feel comfortable enough to sit in, in that feeling of there's a possibility that it won't happen because everyone would shut me down. Like when they were bringing it up and I'd say, well, you never know, they will shut me down. That's a lack of faith. But when she said that to me, I let that just sink in. And I'm like, you know what? 
it may never happen and that and that's okay. And so it was kind of like the conversation went to, well, what happens if that isn't the case? And I had never allowed myself to even consider what my life would look like without children. But because of that conversation, I began to. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm no longer putting my life on hold for a child that may or may not come. And that was the moment I was like, I'm done. It's going to be okay. What next? So it was like the first time somebody gave you permission to even go there in a way. Exactly. Gave me the permission to even give myself permission to go there. Yes, because no one had ever, no one had ever given me the permission. And I, and I felt like I, you know, I don't even know why I felt like I needed their permission, but somebody giving it to me to say like, it's okay if, if you feel like you may never have children, because that is true. You may not. That's what it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. That can be a powerful, like just a powerful outside source, like just letting something else in, letting something Mm -hmm. else breathe and live and be true. That maybe you were afraid to even indulge in, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You know, what has been the best part about making this change? The best part has been the the freedom, the peace to just finally stop obsessing and putting, like I said, putting my life on hold in hopes of what may or may never happen and just really putting myself first for the first time and learning my identity, discovering my identity, um, trying to create a life that I love. Like for me to be able to think of anything other than trying to pursue motherhood is such a liberating feeling um, that I haven't had in years. Like I finally come out of this dark, depressed state that I've been in for decades. Like, I mean, it was a really dark place and that has been the best part for me is just getting back to my happiness um, and starting to think of all the things that I can do because I don't have kids, which is really a lot that I was like, oh, wait, this is kind of like um, a really a, a really good benefit of not having kids. Like I'm starting to go through the list of like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. Like that's the best part for me. It's just the excitement of the future. Yeah, the bucket list changes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> how has how has your relationship with your husband evolved through all of this? I would say that we've gone strong. We've grown stronger, and honestly, we just had a conversation for the first time this year about everything because like I said I had never like opened up and he's one of those people that he's not going to be intrusive he is not going to pressure me into opening up he's going to give me my space and I love him for that um so we never actually talked about it together and we finally did and I just felt like it brought us closer together and now we're trying to create a life that we love together. Like we're on the same page. Like we're trying to be entrepreneurs. We just, we're working on building our lives. Um, and we're being intentional about the way that we're doing that. And it's just, I don't know. 
it's really just exciting. Like I feel giddy when I think about it, but I think that it's, it's evolved for the best. I can say that that's not a situation where, you know, it was ever any tension or we were ever going to divorce or we were going to, you know, you know, we were ever on opposite pages. He's always said that regardless of whether or not he has children, I'm enough. And that, you know, he doesn't feel like his life is lacking because he doesn't have children. Oh, he's a good one. He's a he good is. one. Yeah, he is. Oh, and, those and, are comforting words. Yeah. Wow. That validation let me know that, like, he's in it for me. You know, it was it was always going to be the two of us, regardless of if we had children. And so I feel like just knowing that I'm safe in a relationship where my partner doesn't feel like because of me, they're, they can't have what they always wanted or I'm hindering their ability to be a parent. I think that that has really helped our relationship a lot because it's hard. Like you feel guilty being the one that, you know, is the infertile one or whatever. Um, Because I always think like if he wasn't with me, he could have a child, you know? And so that, that guilt, that shame, all of that can really, you can really get in your head about it. And so to have someone tell you like, it's okay. You're enough. I'm okay. It's, more than I could ask for. Wow. Yeah, I'm getting chills just listening to that. That's just beautiful. What a what a, I mean I I I hope everybody has a partner like that, you know, that mm-hmm. feels that they are enough just who, you know, who they are and where their relationship is, you know. Yeah, just us two and the pups. Yep, and the pups. Did you receive any scrutiny after making the decision to walk away? You know, Millie, I have been dealing with scrutiny around not having children and being infertile for years. And so now that I've made the decision to walk away from that, I have set clear boundaries with everyone in my life and on social media to where this is not up for discussion. You are not allowed to come to me. If I don't bring it up to you, it is not something I want to talk about. And your opinion is not necessary. Um, And you don't have a say about what I do with my body or what my husband and I decide to do Uh, about our family. And so people really don't come to me and say anything. So if I'm being scrutinized, they're they're either keeping it to themselves or they're doing it behind my back and neither one of those are my problems. So. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Snapping. I'm snapping. I'm just like, yes, I'm feeling that. I love that. Like if people are scrutinizing you behind your back or not saying anything about it, that's not your problem. I love that. Because and it's none of my business. Exactly. Because that's one of my, my, I love this saying where what people think of me is none of my business. Absolutely. You know, it's just, it doesn't need any of my time. Exactly. Yep. That's where I'm at with that. Um, I think for years I allowed people to have a say, um, and come to me and bombard me and accost me with their opinions or their prayers or their kind words or, you know, whatever you want to call them. And I would just take it because I was in such a broken place where I just let people say the most ridiculous and insane things and sometimes well-meaning things, but still hurtful things to me. And I'm in a place where, honey, I will put you in your place, okay? You are not allowed to have a say about my life and you're not going to 
you know, try to tell me what to do or how to feel or I'm giving up or whatever you want to call it. Uh-uh, no. Approach me with that at your own risk. <laughs> Proceed with caution. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Um, what has given you the most comfort after making the decision to be childless after in, after infertility? Or maybe I should say childless after loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the community. It's the people that I have met online. I've I never knew that there were other women who were, ch- you know, childless and not still continuing to pursue motherhood um, until I got on social media and I found Katie through, you know, Katie of Chase and Creation, and um, then started connect connecting with other people. And that was that was what brought me the most comfort because they were showing that you can not have children and still live your best life. You can create a life that you're proud of. You can leave a legacy, maybe not in the traditional sense, but in a different way. Um, There's other things that you can focus on and that it's okay if you decide that enough is enough or that it's time to end your journey. And that's the place that I was in. But to have other women who were like, doing the same thing and then showing that it's not just something that you say, but it's something that you live every day. It's not just what you post on social media. You know, sure, there are moments where we're not always like super excited and skipping through the lilies and daisies. But overall, when I turn off the camera or when I'm not on social media, I'm still living my best life. You know what I mean? And so to see other women who are doing the same thing and to see that we're not to be pitied, that has that has brought me the most comfort. Does that... Um have you gotten that or have you felt those vibes like pity vibes sometimes? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as if not, you know, ending your, your fertility journey without a kid is the absolute worst thing that could happen. Everybody pities you, you know, they're like, Oh, couldn't be me. You know, it's just like, Oh, I'm poor dear. Absolutely. You feel pitied. And it's like, don't pity me. Like, sure. It didn't work out, but I'm good. Like I'm okay. But yeah, definitely deal with pity. Um, because let's face it, no one wants to be us. <laughs> no one wants to be, you know, childless, not by choice. Yeah. Well, and that's not, that's not what everybody goes into this thinking, you know? Right. And that's not even what the infertility community allows you to think. That's mm. not even something that they allow you to even consider. It's like, do everything that you can, like at all costs, no matter what, sacrifice everything, your relationships, your finances, your mental well-being, your, your you know, your physical, everything. It's like, do whatever you can, but never give up. So mm. they don't even to the point where you can make a decision and step back and say, at, at, at what cost? Like, when is it too much? Right. You know? Can you speak to the never give up mentality in the infertility community? It is the most harmful and toxic mentality. And it is something that I literally hate about the um, just infertility journey is like the people within the infertility community and the people on the outside looking in, quite frankly, um, who just tell you to never give up because I don't think that it's fair to assume that because someone did not exhaust every single resource or option that was available, that that meant that they didn't want it badly enough. And that is what people make you feel like, like, 
you how dare you say your child is not by choice you have a choice you didn't choose it you know what i mean and it's like that is that is the thing that makes me want to fight <laughs> mm-hmm. because you don't get to tell me how badly I wanted something. Nobody knows the tears that I cried and the prayers that I prayed. Like you can't tell me that I didn't want it badly enough. But also at the same time, I'm allowed to draw the line and say, I'm not going to lose my marriage. I'm not going to, you know, be in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, you know, for something that I may not even end up getting. I get to decide when it's when it's enough for me. And that doesn't mean that I didn't want it badly enough. It just means that I prioritized my well-being and, you know, other things more than the endless pursuit of having a baby. And so I feel like that is the most toxic thing you can tell someone is to never give up. You decide when enough is enough and that is okay. And when you decide that, you've done everything you could do already regardless of if you did IVF regardless of if you did surrogacy regardless of if you adopted you've already done all that you could do to become a parent and that's okay I feel like the people in the childless not by choice community get the adoption question 10 times as much than just your average infertility warrior you know like what is up with that because again they feel like you have a choice Mm. they feel like stop saying your child is not by choice you have a choice you can always adopt i had somebody comment under one of my posts and say have you ever considered adoption there's so many kids who need and i'm like listen adoption is not the default it should not be a default option. I personally feel like it's okay if anybody wants to adopt, but you should have a heart for adoption. Did you want to adopt before you found out that you were infertile? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there's never, there's never anything wrong with wanting to adopt regardless of the reason. But what I'm saying is I'm not going to adopt if that's not what my, what I want. That's not what my heart wants. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. It's not the default. Like, I'm not going to, you know, take somebody else's baby just because I couldn't have my own. Like, that's not what I'm going to do. And I pushed the question back to people. Okay, well, then why don't you adopt? Mm -hmm. If there's so many children who need a loving home, you can adopt. What's stopping you? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I feel like it's because we get that much scrutiny because they don't believe that we don't have a choice. They feel like you do always it's and it's always adoption there's so many things that go into adopting that people don't consider it's not just like you you know oh let me go get a baby no oh it is yeah it is its own it's its own battle you know yeah and the amount of people who go through the process and then the mother at the end you know she decides to change her mind or you know they're never matched things fall through and then they've they've given all this money there's just no quick fix to getting a baby and adoption is not for everyone. It's beautiful when people do it. It's beautiful if that's your choice, but it is not the default choice for every single person who does not have children. Yeah. I, that's one thing that I've noticed a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a lot of feedback coming towards your way. And I, I, yeah. I think it's unfair. And I think it, you know, it's the thing that we all hate. Like we all hate that question. Why is, why are we throwing that question around, you know, even within the community? It just doesn't make any sense. I'm because you should never give up. You have to do everything that you can Millie, to get that baby, mm. regardless of what it costs you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I also another another tangent that you sort of touched upon that I want to add to um, is that adoption. Sometimes, you know, I feel like people, there are special people in this world where adoption is what they want, is what mm-hmm. they've always wanted, you exactly. know? And it takes a really special person. They have a heart for it. They have, you have a heart for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just, you know, happen after you've tr- exhausted all of these other efforts, you know, right. that your heart doesn't automatically now want adoption. You know what I mean? And I don't think that people should go down that direction just just because, you know? like Just to get a baby. Yeah, your heart should be in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot that goes into that. I mean, you're accepting this child and all that comes along with him, you know? And what if you adopt and then that's not enough because you've always wanted your own baby? It's just... I don't know. It, the, the idea of it is just kind of sickening to me. Even, you know, just, it's just like, it's sickening to me. Mm-hmm. Like if my dog died, you wouldn't be like, well, you could just adopt another one. Or why don't you just adopt another one? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't pacify me. Like that's not enough. Like I want my child mm-hmm. and I'm not just going to go get something else just because I couldn't have what I wanted. Yeah. That's still not what I want. Yeah. And that's okay, but they don't want they don't want you to think they that it's okay. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. Yeah. Exactly. How can people support someone who doesn't end up with a baby after going through infertility and loss? I think the biggest thing is to not inundate them with toxic positivity. Don't tell them to never give up, you know, don't say have faith. Don't tell them the countless stories of other people that you know who were infertile and ended up with a baby because all of our experiences are not the same. Like we are all different. Just because it happened for someone else does not mean it's going to happen for me. So I think that you can just not tell them to not, you know, don't give up or I know my cousin's auntie's sister, you know, she she had an incompetent cervix and then she got pregnant and now she's got five babies or, you know, my my brother and his wife adopted. Just stop. Just We don't need to hear that. We don't need you to offer any other alternative options. We've already thought about them. We've already considered them all. And all we need you to do is just support us, accept our decision because we've already accepted our decision. So now it's it's you who, you know, who refuses to allow us to move on. Not us. Like, we're doing everything we can to move on. But you keep telling us, no, it's a lack of faith. No, keep trying. Don't do that. Just hold space for them. Be there, you know, throughout the emotion, the emotional roller coaster you can experience because it's not a linear journey. There are moments where you're super, you know, loving your life. And then you maybe you remember you know, the loss that you experienced or what you never had and your mourning that you never got pregnant. There's just so many things, you know, with Mother's Day and all the different holidays celebrating mothers and rainbow babies and all of those things. Just hold space for us. Um, Let us come to you if we want to talk. Don't come to us. Do not come to us. (laughs) Let us come to you. (laughs) I I cannot stress that enough. Do not accost me. Do not approach me. 
Do not bring it up. Let me bring it up. If I want to talk to you about it, I will. If I don't, then it's not up for conversation. Just be there, you know, pray for us. If you want to pray for us, don't tell us I'm praying for you. Yeah. Just, you know, keep it to yourself. Hold space for us. You know, it's okay to say things like, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. You know, I'm here if you need anything, but support our decision and and let us live our best life. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. What makes your blood boil? about infertility and loss? I think it goes back to what I said about people never allowing you to make the decision to end your journey. I think that it's everything that it costs you. You know, it takes so much, even if you get your rainbow baby, you know, that that you had to spend thousands of dollars to go through IVF treatment, that you had to do all these things when it's so easy for other people to just make a baby, you know, just from ha- just from having sex, I think that that's what makes my boil my blood boil <laughs> the most. <laughs> uh, is just that you know you have to exhaust every single option available to you in order to pursue parenthood, and I just I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that people could accept the fact that even though. I have decided to not pursue IVF or surrogacy, adoption, whatever, that that doesn't mean that I didn't want a baby and that it's okay to decide at any point in your journey that enough is enough for you, that you don't owe anybody an explanation. You don't owe society a list, a laundry list of all the options that you chose, you know, that you went through before. I, I mean, I wonder how many marriages would have survived if, if somebody felt that it was okay for them to decide that enough is enough, because I know that there are, Spouses who one of them wanted to stop and then the other was like, no. And so they went their separate ways. And it's like, why does it have to cost you? Why do people expect you to give up everything and sacrifice so much to get a baby? Mm-hmm. Sure, that's fine if that's what you want, but let it be okay if that's if that's not what you choose. If you choose your relationship, you choose whether that's your spouse or you know your family or you choose to not be in debt you know, to not almost die from losing so much blood, delivering babies and just, it's just the endless pursuit of parenthood at, at any cost that, that just makes me upset. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, back to that, don't give up mentality. It's so toxic. It's so toxic. It is. Because you make people feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like you make people feel like they didn't try hard enough or they didn't do everything that they could. And that's not mm. that's not the case. And then even if they didn't do all the options, they still did everything that they could. Mm-hmm. Everything that they could tolerate, they did. And it's just so it's such an unfair statement to make. Um and such an unfair demand to put on somebody. To never give up. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like you wouldn't tell a football player after, I don't know why I just decided to bring up a sports analogy because I know nothing about sports. <laughs> but you wouldn't tell a football player who's been injured in the, you know, in the NFL over and over again to keep trying, never give up. I mean, keep going. You can get that ring, even though he's, you know, been injured or you just. Yeah. 
it's just such an unfair demand to place on the infertility community when we don't put those expectations on anybody else who's struggling and going after something. You know, we say, okay, that you know, that's okay. You you you're good. You can kind of you know make the decision to end the you know to end this journey. That's fine. But when it comes to parenthood, it's like, man, you really didn't want it then. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking, it's making me think about like if you had a friend that was in an abusive relationship, you wouldn't say to them such a that's much better of an analogy, Millie. Right? Like you would not I would never You wouldn't. You would never. A friend who was getting like battered and bruised and and just her life was just in shreds, you know? Like you yeah. wouldn't tell her or them, whoever it is, you wouldn't say, yeah. keep going, don't give up. You know, I would say to that person, "Let ha- what is our exit strategy here? How, how can I help you? You know, like, and it does seem like that sometimes. Like there is this, this like intoxicating, addictive relationship happening um, that between the patient and the journey, you know, Mm -hmm. like how bad can you get hit until, Mm -hmm. you know, something changes. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And I think we, I think people compare people's journeys and experiences. And that's another thing that makes people feel like you should never give up because they do see that certain people, you know, that, you know, people in their fertility journey, with a baby through IVF or they chose adoption. And so you assume that that's going to happen for every person that's infertile. And that's just not the case. And I think that we need to, one of my friends said this on Instagram, you know, stop grouping all of our journeys and experiences together and, you know, making it seem like we're all the same when we're not. All of our struggles are different. And I think that that's another thing that causes people to say never give up is because they keep going back to, that miracle baby that somebody else got. Yeah. Oh, this has just been such a wonderful conversation, Don Sheree. Thank you so, 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 so much. I'm kicking myself for not getting you on here sooner, but like <laughs> we got it, you know, you're here. Yeah. This has been a wonderful conversation. How can folks connect with you and follow your story on Instagram? I know you have a blog, a YouTube channel. Tell us about those. Yeah, I thank you so much, first of all, for bringing me on. I'm so glad. I didn't want to at first because I'm like, who the heck am I? Um, But I decided that even if I can just help one person, that's fine. And this was such a great conversation until I ruined it with the football analogy. Where did that even come from? I don't know. Uh, Forgive me, listeners, okay? That was a terrible analogy. Don't worry about it. Let's forget that it ever happened. But yes, you can connect with me on Instagram at Naturally Unashamed. I do want to preface that by saying that, you know, I do post about being childless and, you know, and um, I share a lot in my stories and people follow me for my coffee videos on my stories. But I don't just want to post about being childless because while that is a, a part of my life, it's not all of my life. So if you're looking to follow, you know, someone specifically for childless, not by choice related content, I would say follow people like Tanya Hubbard Counseling or uh, 
chasing creation, those kind of accounts. Follow me if you're okay with me posting random stuff because that's kind of what I'm trying to get back to is just being me. And that's going to include childless content, but it's also going to include my nails. It's going to include coffee. It's going to include random stuff because I'm random. So follow me if you want (laughs) on Instagram. And then I also have a YouTube channel, which is more or less the same. Um, It's at Naturally Unashamed. I talk about random stuff like skincare hauls and being childless and book reviews and my hair journey, all those things. Um, My blog which is naturallyunashamed.com. That is the only place that's specifically um, for like my childless journey. It didn't always end up being that. I didn't think it was going to be, be that way, but that's what it ended up being. So if you want just, you know, straight childless content, you can subscribe there um, and read my blog and all of my links to everything is in the link in my uh, bio on my Instagram page. Perfect. Thank you so much, Don Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate you. This was so fun. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you for um, pressuring me (laughs) in my DMs. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You are so funny. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. Bye.